This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. And welcome to the show on this Thursday, August the 14th, 2014. Glad to have you with us here from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania and the Wharton School right here on Locust Walk. Great to have you with us today. Busy show coming up in just a little bit. The question of are you better off now with your financial situation and quality of life than you were at the end of the recession five years ago? Interestingly enough, a survey from the Federal Reserve out last week showed that one-third of the people they spoke with feel that they are not better off than they were in 2008. It's a unique question to ponder right now since the economy seems better off. We've got more jobs coming in on a monthly basis. But the twist to this recovery has been the stagnant wage growth. To discuss this report out, we turn to economist Mark Zandi of Moody's Analytics, who's also the author of the 2012 book Paying the Price, Ending the Great Recession and Beginning a New American Century. Mark, it has been some time since I talked to you. Great to talk to you again. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Good to be with you. What was your reaction when you saw the survey when it first came out last week? I, I wasn't surprised. You know, it's been a the recession itself was uh, very debilitating, and uh, the economic recovery, uh, which it's hard to believe, but it's been five years now since yeah. uh, the recession has been uh, disappointing and weak, and, and so it's not surprising that many households still feel that uh, that the times are tough and that they're no better off than they were before the recession. Is it as simple as saying that the wage growth is probably one of the biggest reasons why people don't feel as good? Yeah, I think that's the key reason. I mean, you know, even during the recession, most people held on to their jobs. Right. The unemployment rate peaked at 10%, so 90% of people had their jobs. And for them, what matters most is uh, their, their, their pay, and are they getting a pay increase, and how big is that pay increase? And in the last five years, uh, wages have risen by about the rate of inflation, and that's all. So, you know, real living standards have not changed, and I think that's what people feel, and that's what they're saying in these surveys. I mean, we, we've you follow it closely. I do as well. We watch the monthly employment reports uh, and go over them with a fine-tooth comb, and the numbers certainly have been good over the last uh, a few months. But the types of jobs we're seeing just aren't the ones, uh, the types of jobs that are getting filled just aren't the ones that, that we're going to show great growth to the point where we're going to see more people spending, more freely spending, and see the economy really take big steps like it needs to do. Yeah, I think that's true, although it's changing. So early in the recovery, so if you go back five years ago, four years ago, uh, the preponderance of jobs were, were low-paying. So retail jobs, uh, leisure hospitality jobs, very low-paying. Uh, two, three years ago, uh, we started to see some really high-paying jobs. Uh, the real problem was no middle-paying jobs. But that now... Uh, is changing, so we're seeing job growth. It's it's really quite strong by historical standards, and it's pretty broad based now. So it's uh, you know low paying, high paying, and and middle paying. You can see that in construction related jobs, uh, some manufacturing jobs, and even government jobs, which had been evaporating a couple of years ago, are now starting to grow again. So you know, fortunately, uh, all the trend lines look good. So I think if the Fed runs this survey 
a year from now, certainly two years from now, if everything kind of sticks to script, uh, they'll start getting more positive response. It's interesting. There were a couple of, uh, of key pieces of data that I, that I took out in, in reading some of the reports about this report, one of which was more than three-quarters of the people they talked with said they don't expect to get a raise in the next 12 years or expected their income to decline. And I guess in some respects that kind of goes to what we were just talking about in the fact that incomes – Whatever your salary is right now, if you get a raise, great. But but if your salary holds where it is right now, that's also not the worst thing in the world. Well, yeah, I mean, if it grows at the rate of inflation, what that means is that the, your standard of living is is going nowhere, right? So I, I right. guess that's okay. But no one feels really good about that or comfortable about that. And right. Certainly not what we've come to expect or should expect. Uh, so. I think that's what people really feel uncomfortable about. Uh, uh, and, and it's not going to change until the labor market tightens up a bit more. We need to create more, uh, still more jobs and bring down that unemployment rate a, little, a bit further. Then at that point, we'll start to see the wage growth. And we're probably a, about a year or two away from that. But uh, we're closing in on that day. And, of course, retirement savings continues to be a major problem that, that we're going to have you know, one or two generations, it looks like, that, that may not have enough money saved up when they head into retirement. Yeah, that is a significant uh, concern. That, that's been a concern even before the recession. You know, yeah. we don't save well as Americans. And in the survey, as I recall, they, they found that uh, half of the respondents were not, were not thinking about retirement at all. Uh, and, you know, that's a mistake. And e- even people in their 50s, you know, late 40s, early 50s, uh, a third of those were not uh, really preparing for retirement. And uh, that, that's, that, that's been a long-running problem for us. Obviously, it's been exacerbated by the recession and the downturn. Uh, people's incomes have been constrained, and so they, they just can't save for retirement. But uh, this has been a long-running problem for us and will continue to be the case going forward. If you'd like to join us in the conversation about uh, where this Fed survey and uh, if you are somebody that maybe feels pretty good or you don't feel pretty good, you can join us in the conversation, one eight four four wharton one eight four four. Nine four two seven eight six six. Student debt, when, when you look at, at that, is continues to grow on an uh, on a annual basis at this point. Uh, right, the latest numbers saw one point three trillion dollars. Almost half of the people in this survey uh, cut spending last year due to student loan payments. So, with forty million Americans holding student loans right now, that looks like it's going to be a, a big drag on the economy for years to come. Hello, Mark. Hey, I'm sorry. You know, we've got a lot of static. I'm not really sure what's going okay. on. I apologize. Not a problem. But when you stop talking, I, it's fine. Okay. Not <laughs> a problem. You better not talk. Okay. Well, no. Did, did you hear? I, I'm yeah, guessing you... I think you'd... I got a grip. You were talking about the student loan issue. Yeah. It looks like it's going to be one that's going to be a problem for, for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. Uh, it, um, I think you mentioned the number $1.3 trillion. Yeah. Uh, that, that's effectively doubled in the last 10 years. Uh, and uh, the, the real problem is that many of the kids, you know, many, many, children, many of the kids went back to school in the recession. They couldn't get a job. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, uh, they, they did the right thing. They went back to school and uh, tried to uh, raise uh, their educational attainment because they've been told, and rightly so, that you know, an education will uh, result in, in better financial future. So that, that's all good. Uh, the, the problem is that many uh, went back to school, took on the debt, and didn't graduate, yeah. didn't get the degree, 
And that obviously is a big problem, uh, you know, particularly student loan debt, because uh, you can't uh, you can't get out of that. Uh, you know, there's no way out uh, unless the federal government uh, in, uh, comes forward with programs to make it easier for you, which the Obama administration has been trying to do and has done. But uh, you know, it's very difficult to get out of that. So that that's a, a very significant issue. The, the other issue um, is um, that uh, many universities and schools. Uh, essentially are raising tuitions and capturing the increase in student lending. So this is also a really pro- a big problem. So tuitions, for example, over the last 10 years, you know, across the board have doubled as well. So uh, I think we really have to rethink, you know, student loans and the way we think about uh, financing education and, and raising the edu- educational attainment of our population. I, I think we, we aren't doing this a service to our kids and Certainly uh, not a service to, to the economy. It's going to be a problem long run. One eight four four Wharton. One eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Dan Loney, we're speaking with economist Mark Zandi of Moody's Analytics. Uh, the GDP, uh, the second quarter numbers were obviously very good, but you know everybody has talked about the first uh, quarter, the fact that the uh, the the weather affected it so much that when you looked at the first half of the year, the economy only grew by what about a one half of one percent. Uh, and what are we looking for for the second half of the year now? Much better. So, uh, as you said, the first quarter was just a disaster, yeah. a big decline. Uh, we got a, a, some of that back in Q, the second quarter, a much stronger quarter, a pretty good one. Uh, the current quarter uh, is, uh, you know, lining up to be pretty good, feels pretty good. Um, and for the remainder of the year, I think we get 3% growth. And I think it, since the economic recovery began, the average growth rate for GDP has about been 2% per annum. Uh, it feels like we've jumped to a higher level of growth and now closer to 3%. You know, we've gone through these periods of faster growth that, uh, before in this recovery, and it's all evaporated pretty quickly. So I hesitate to say, you know, here we are off and running. But right. it feels better this time. You know, the fundamentals in the economy are better. And confidence is much improved. I mean, even consumers... If you look at other measures of consumer surveys of consumer confidence, uh, they're much improved from where, where we were just six months ago or 12 months ago. So it feels like we're in a better place and that uh, we're at a higher level of growth. But, you know, I won't feel really great about things in, in, until, you know, we get a few more months under our belt and we, we see that we, in fact, are off and running. Well, we've seen uh, quite a run by Wall Street over the last couple of years. Uh, the markets last year, obviously, uh, or I should say this year in 2014, uh, had expected much stronger growth this year after a great 2013. Uh, some people are saying that, that stock prices have been propped up a little bit by, by companies borrowing money to buy back their own stock, but really not true organic revenue growth. What's this mean for the markets going forward? Well, I, 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 you know, there's some of that. Uh, companies have a lot of cash, and they have been paying out more in dividends and buying back stock, and there's been some increased uh, merger and acquisition activity. But the fundamental reason for the better stock market is that corporate profits are strong. I mean, earnings are record highs, and profit margins uh, are as wide as they've ever been in the data that I've seen back to World War II. So American companies, particularly publicly, big publicly traded companies, are doing very, very well, and that's reflected in uh, stock prices. Also, interest rates are low. Now, some of that obviously is juiced up by the Federal Reserve's uh, quantitative easing and very aggressive monetary policy, but... But uh, but rates are low, and you combine that with strong earnings, and that means high stock prices. So I think there's good fundamental reasons for high stock values. Now, things feel a bit overdone. Uh, yeah. It came a long way in a very short period of time, but but it doesn't 
you know, in the, in the broad scheme of things, I think the market is is appropriately valued and and reflects the, just how well American companies are doing. I guess one of the one of the good aspects uh, of this report is that Americans are feeling much better about the housing situation. We've obviously seen that. Uh, even though it's been sluggish lately, but it's been a pretty good run the last couple of years. Uh, and, and again, I mean, this report was done a year ago, but still, this is a good sign overall, correct? It is. Yeah, it is. I mean, the housing market has turned. Um, house prices uh, aren't fully back to where they were before the recession. Of course, before the recession, we were in a housing bubble uh, it'll probably take another couple, three years to get back to that level. But we're clearly moving in the right direction. And, you know, even in the Fed survey, which, as you said, was done a year ago, uh, the respondents, the homeowners in their survey, did recognize the improvement in the housing market and expected house prices to continue to rise. And then that's been the case. Uh, uh, we've seen uh, continued improvement there. We need to see a lot more. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's one reason to be optimistic about the economy, because I do think we're going to see more homes being built uh, over the next few years. And that will create a lot more jobs, but uh, but yeah, the housing the housing recovery has been a very important part of the economic recovery, and it has been helpful in, in supporting uh, confidence. Uh, it's been you know obviously confidence has been weak, but uh, it would be much weaker without that housing recovery. Going back to the the retirement issue that we talked about a little bit ago, uh, it was interesting to note that uh, as you mentioned, that a lot of people basically have said that they don't have any retirement savings or pension. Uh, available to them. And that brings up the question of Social Security because uh, of the fact that everybody, you know, the the numbers have been out there. When is Social Security going to run out? Is it going to run out? What are we going to see with that? That plays a role in this as well in terms of the retirement. Yeah, I mean, clearly people, many people are are very dependent, solely dependent on Social Security. And and obviously that makes, that's why it uh, makes it so difficult to make any reforms to the Social Security program or other benefits like Medicare that go to older uh, retirees, because many Americans just don't have any other financial resources and saving, and so it makes it politically very difficult. But in the case of Social Security, you know, I'm abstracting from Medicare, but just focusing on Social Security, uh, we don't need to do too many things to make the program solvent forever, and I I think ultimately we'll come around to doing that. So I, I think Americans should be able and should count on their Social Security benefits as they are now. I think I think we, we can afford that as a nation, and, and I think we'll deliver on that. We're talking with Chief Economist Mark Zandi from Moody's Analytics, which is based outside of Philadelphia, uh, about the Fed survey that came out last week about how uh, one-third of the people they spoke with feel that they're not better off right now than they were at the end of the recession five years ago. Uh, Mark, in terms of your book, which you wrote a couple of years ago, Paying the Price, Ending the Great Recession, and and beginning a new American century. I mean, we had there were so many things going on when that book was coming out. I mean, we had you know fiscal cliff, Dodd Frank. We were you know getting everything put together for the Affordable Care Act. Really, how much has this country changed since that point? A lot, a lot. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard to believe. But back when I wrote that book, we all, we were also in the middle of the European debt crisis. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was front and center, and we're not even talking about that now. So. I actually think we've made a lot of progress. Uh, I, I think we're in a measurably better place. We still have our challenges, obviously, and we're talking about some of them through the context of this Fed survey. But, yeah. you know, I think the American economy is on uh, pretty solid ground, uh, you know, about as solid a ground as I've seen it in a long time. We've, we've reduced our debt loads quite significantly. 
uh, you, you know, households have done a pretty, good, a very good job of getting their debt down. In fact, you know, something that didn't come out of the survey, but is important to recognize, is that the debt burdens, the proportion of income of our income that we devote to servicing our debt as households, is about as low as it's ever been. Yeah, and we've been locking in these low rates. So I, I think, again, we have a lot of challenges. Uh, people are still very rightly very nervous about things, but we've made a lot of progress, and, and I think our our prospects are quite good. And, and where that's concerned, uh, the the people have done a much better job of of paying their bills on time. The, the delinquency rates have gone down quite a bit as well the last few years. They have, I mean, incredibly so. I mean, hard to believe, but uh, delinquency rates on credit cards have never ever been lower. Yeah, uh, delinquency rates on auto loans uh, about as low as they've ever been. Now, even mortgage loans. Um, if you look at the number of loans that are one month or two months late. Uh, that's at record lows. Uh, we we still have a bunch of loans that uh, are still in the foreclosure process that have been there since the the, the housing bust and the recession, and, and we're still working those through. And particularly in states where uh, it, it's kind of hard to work through them because of the, the judicial process, like New Jersey, New York, uh, Pennsylvania to a lesser degree, yeah. Florida. But uh, but uh, you know, outside of those legacy problems. Uh, uh, credit conditions are pristine, you know, absolutely beautiful. Now, some of that goes to the tight, a big chunk of it goes to goes to the uh, tight uh, lending. And that also came out in the Fed survey, too. You, there were a lot of people who, about a third of the respondents, I believe, uh, looked to get a, get a loan, and about a third of those couldn't. They, got, uh, they were rejected for the loan. So a lot of the improvement in credit quality that I just articulated is related to the, the tighter underwriting. Uh, but uh, the big chunk of it also relates to the lower interest rates and the, and the better economy. So what are we looking at here? I mean, we briefly talked about the, the rest of, of 2014, but can you kind of ballpark what we're going to see, hopefully, in the next couple of years? Because, you know, we see the jobs numbers continuing to be 200,000-plus every month, or at least they have been this year, uh, and hopefully that's not going to change. Are, is it as simple as saying if we can get better job people in better jobs and better wages that we're going to see this economy really pick up if it's not the end of this year the beginning of 2015 yeah i'm optimistic i i I think that uh we're on the cusp of much stronger economic growth in fact i think we're probably already there Uh, and then that that'll become clearer as we move through the year into 2015 and then we get more data and information so I think everything is now in place for a much better, much stronger uh, economy. You know, clearly there are risks and threats. I mean, all you have to do is you know look at the news every day and yeah. see the mayhem in the Middle East <laughs> or Ukraine, Russia, or you know, there's a, there's a whole litany of things to be worried about. That, that was going to be my next question for you. So you've you've led me right into it. Well, I mean, clearly those are risks and threats. Um, they're very difficult to handicap. I mean, how does one attach a probability to whether Putin's going to invade Ukraine or yeah. not? I mean, that's pretty difficult to do. Uh, but one thing to note, uh, all the risks I articulated, uh, they're out there, right? They're not here right. in the United States. And that's the first time I've been able to say that in a long, long time, and I, I view that as a very positive thing. You know, we're not immune to what goes on to the rest of the world. Sure. If bad things happen, it'll affect us, no doubt. But, uh, I mean, I think uh, we can say with some confidence that, uh, you know, 
uh, what's going on here in the United States is in, in pretty good in a pretty good place, and the risks here are pretty low. Well, then let me throw this question to you because obviously people recently have talked about Iraq. You know, do we need to go back in? Uh, we, we've seen a few more troops going in in terms of helping the Iraqi people, trying to you know get that under control. You mentioned Vladimir Putin with with Ukraine. If the U.S. did have to get involved in a in a war or some sort of event around the globe, sending troops, what kind of an effect hat does that have on the economy? Well, you know, obviously, there's many scenarios one can construct. Sure. Uh, in general, though, uh, it, it doesn't have much of an impact on the economy. Huh. I mean, it's one of those things that is corrosive on the economy, right? I mean, we paid uh, over a trillion dollars over the past decade in our battles in Afghanistan and Iraq. That's a lot of money and yeah. a lot of resource, and it matters to us over the longer run. That's a trillion dollars that we didn't use to improve our infrastructure. That's a trillion dollars we didn't use to shore up Medicare, Medicaid, the Social Security program. That's a trillion dollars we didn't use to finance science and education, you know, yeah. to Mars. You know, all those things yeah. are so key to long-term economic growth. But they don't matter a whole lot in a given year, but they do matter over a long period of time. So I think we need to be very uh, cautious about, you know, how we spend those resources. And here's, here's the, the thing that makes me so upset is that if you go back, um, you know, 1999, 2000, the world was was our oyster. You know, we had a budget surplus, yeah. and prospects were excellent for years to come. We could have used that to put Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid on a solid financial footing forever, and you know, we blew it. Um, and for lots of reasons, some of it out of our control. You know, nine yeah. eleven was out of our control. Yep. You know, no doubt. Yep. But some of it was in our control, and so I think we need to be we need to keep that in mind uh, when we think about you know what we're going to do going forward. Uh, there's still uh, obviously a lot of people out there that are underemployed uh, at this point, and it really is a situation where people are still having to fight for every penny, every dime out there. A lot of Americans having to do this on a daily basis to to really try and get by. It, it, you know, it's it, it's part of what we're having to deal with, and it's probably it seems like going to be part of what we're going to be dealing with for a long time to come. Yeah, you know, this goes to one other thing that really makes me nervous is the distribution of income and wealth. Right? Sure. I mean, yeah. you know, they're really we do really have a problem with two Americas. Uh, you know, upper income, the top half of the income distribution, uh, no problem. You know, everything is going pretty well, particularly if you're the you know in the top third of the distribution. But folks in the bottom half, bottom third, you know, life is pretty difficult, and you know that uh, the. the sort of macroeconomic trends that have created this problem yeah. are still in place. So we, we do need to address it. We need to devote more resource to educating our population, retraining, working, really thinking through how to make our population more competitive. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're not really good at that as a nation. We've really not thought about that carefully, and I think we need to. Well, I, I know personally for me, I know I am better off than I was in, in 2008. I know that Absolutely, fact. I, you know, I know that the, it, it not everybody kind of fits into that category, and it, and it's you know it's a person by person case. You may very well yourself be feel that you're in a better spot than than uh, than you were in 2008, right? Do you feel that way? Yeah, I, I do. I certainly do. Uh, you know, I but I've been for, very fortunate, right? And, yeah. And, and I got a great education at Penn and Wharton yep. and. 
you know, that really has served me incredibly well. Uh, so I've been, you know, a major beneficiary of, of that education that I think we need to provide in a more comprehensive and logical way, going back to our discussion about student loan debt. I, I just think we need to rethink that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have, you know, just think about Philadelphia schools. I mean, you know, and then compare that to the schools out where I live in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Sure. That makes yeah. no sense, right? Yeah. I mean, we've got this wrong. And so, and that's, that's how we're going to have, we're ultimately going to have to fix, uh, we're going to be able to address this problem. Uh, and uh, it's through our educational system. So that's where we really, really need to focus. For people that are, are listening to us around the country, the Philadelphia school system has talked for the last couple of years about closing schools because they've been running a, a, at a budget deficit, a uh, severe one, and they basically had to rely on the state of Pennsylvania to help them with funding to keep schools open. And it, it is, it, you are exactly right. And, and other cities have it as well, Mark. And it is one of the most frustrating things that as an American you can sit back and think about is that we can't take care of our schools in order to be able to put our kids in school. The fact that we, we potentially could have schools closing is just, you cannot have that. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, all these great American cities, I mean, they were, they're great because we, we educated our kids. Absolutely, right? Right. absolutely. Mark, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, great to talk to you again, and uh, all the best, and we look forward to talking to you again down the road. Yeah, and best of luck. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Not a problem. Mark Zandi, who is the chief economist at Moody's Analytics, he mentioned he's a Wharton grad, and also his book, Paying the Price, Ending the Great Recession and Beginning a New American Century. You know, still a lot of it plays, plays right into uh, a lot of what we talked about here today. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.